Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are the way maker. You're the promise keeper. You're the miracle worker. Lord, you're all things to us. You, you are so infinite. You're so uh, majestic that we don't even fully have words to describe you. And even when we've used all the words we have and we use the, the best words we have, it's, it's not enough. You're so far beyond us, Lord, and, and we just praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We pray that you'd move in our midst, that you'd change our hearts, that you'd change our lives. Lord, that you'd continue to draw us closer to you, that we might proclaim your good news in this community, that we might proclaim the good news beginning in our homes, and, and Lord, that it might spread to the surrounding area. Father, we just would ask that if you'd see fit in accordance with your will, that you would use us for your glory and for your kingdom. Go with us now, come and speak through the reading and the proclamation of your word. Lord, may your words be heard by this congregation and by anyone who might be listening. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Our text this morning is one that uh, many of you have heard uh, many, many times. Uh, it's uh, after the, uh, the death uh, and the resurrection of Christ, and it's before he uh, has ascended, and he's speaking uh, final words to his disciples. And it's in uh, Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. It's also after, uh, of course, as you know, Judas has betrayed him. And at this point, there's just 11 disciples. Judas actually, after the betrayal, uh, has hung himself. Uh, so there's just the 11. They haven't chose, chosen the additional 12th at this point. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Jesus taught us uh, many, many valuable lessons. Everything Jesus did and said is important. And we should make it our goal to be familiar with all uh, that Jesus taught, with, with every part of his teaching. And we should make it our goal to live by the example of his life and the, the example of his teaching. But as you know, last words are often so very important. How you and I conclude a letter is important how we finish up this worship service today and, and how I conclude the sermon is important. How we, how we do things, especially the last things we do, are of utmost importance. Some of you have heard me say that my, my dad near the end of his life was uh, already slipping into a coma and my brother told me I, I better come home. I was in seminary. Uh, at that point. And, and so I pray that Jeanette and I would make it uh, before dad uh, slipped away. And we did. 
uh, by God's grace, the last coherent words my dad ever said on earth were spoken to me. And I'll never forget that. That moment has stayed with me, and it will stay with me until I see him again uh, in glory. Last words matter. I, I think one of the reasons why, I, and I told you guys this before, why I like old westerns is because no matter how shot up the cowboy is, somehow he gets to say one last word to his sweetheart or uh, his mom or dad or, or his best friend. Last words matter. The text I read this morning contains some of the last words of Jesus to his disciples. And therefore, these words should be of utmost importance to you and I. In verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, or remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It seems to me that Jesus has clearly given us our mission. The question is, is how are we doing? How are we doing in that mission? I could quote statistic upon statistic from Barna and from people like Pew Research Center, which says that in America, not so well. Barna, for example, in their 2020 State of Religion report found that the number of practicing Christians were reduced by nearly half between the years 2000 and 2020. A practicing Christian was defined by Barna as someone who uh, self-declared themselves a Christian and also who, who said their faith was important to them. And then they were a person who attended worship at least once a month. In 2000, 45% of Americans professed to be practicing Christians. In 2020, that dropped to 25% of America. And remember, COVID had nothing to do with this. All the data was collected by the end of 2019, so we can't blame it on that. Of course, statistical data is hard to analyze. Data, I'm an engineer by training also. I know that we can manipulate data. For example, in that same study, a majority of, a Christian, uh, of Americans claimed to pray weekly. Actually, that number was still up around 80%, 80-some percent. I'm not exactly who, sure who they were praying to, but 80-some percent claimed to pray weekly. So that indicates that there's an openness to spirituality. But it seems that whatever the actual data is, and we could play with data, we could do a better job at sharing our faith. So that's why we want to introduce the three circles method of sharing our faith. And I, I want to give you a sense of it here in worship over the next few weeks. But the deeper meaning, the deeper teaching is going to come in, in, the, in Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. in the fellowship hall downstairs beginning next Sunday, uh, January 22nd. I want to invite you all to come out for that teaching. And we're going to offer that teaching for adults and uh, youth as well. And then children, you'll go to your normal classes. 
But some of us were introduced to this method at a presbytery meeting, and then later our denomination has adopted this approach and, and has asked that we all consider using this as a, an approach to share the gospel across the board. You know, the EPC grew tremendously uh, by transfer growth. That is, a lot of us, like myself as individuals and like you, you all as a congregation, we left our previous denominations and we came to the EPC. But now what we're seeking is, is transformational growth. That is, we want to be churches that are, are disciple-making churches. We want to be disciples who are making disciples. Therefore, I think all of us need to learn just ways to share our faith. Uh, and ways to disciple new believers, and also to continue to disciple one another. We want to teach us all to observe what Jesus has commanded us. We want to be faithful witnesses. And faith, being a faithful witness, beloved, can't be left to the, quote, professionals. Uh, there's not enough of us. We're not in the places where you work and where you live and where you play, and where you go to school. And quite frankly, your genuine witness and example is going to be better than ours anyway. It's going to be more effective in those places. Now, that said, I and other pastors have work to do. I think the data shows that we pastors could do a better job of sharing our faith. But we're all called to be faithful gospel witnesses. God has placed you and I where we live, where we work, where we study, where we play, to be His witnesses unto this generation. That's our calling. That's our calling. So let me remind you of something I shared last week. Sharing the gospel should begin with praying for people you know who are far from God. Praying for people that you want to be able to have and turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. And you're going to hear that phrase over and over again in this teaching, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. You're also going to be given examples of how to begin to do that in those conversations. And that's going to come later in the deeper training. But we must begin by praying for lost people. You were given a card as you came in this morning, or at least I hope you were. If you weren't, there's additional cards out there. I'm also going to be giving those out at the 9.45 a.m. training beginning next week. Those are for you to take home and to start writing names of people you want to be praying for. Maybe you've been praying for them for years, but we want you to keep praying for them and to seek opportunities to have gospel conversations with them. And then when, when you do have those conversations, we want to be sharing the three circles approach. Uh, we want to share a way, and it's just that, it's a way. Some of you maybe already have ways. I've shared with you before the bridge diagram or the Romans road, uh, the four spiritual laws people have used. There's other ways, but we want to focus on this one as a way to have a conversation with people about our faith. And it begins with explaining God's design. It starts, the first circle is God's design. Uh, and that's where we're going to spend most of the balance of our time uh, the rest of today. Uh, and then we'll look at the other three circles, other two circles in worship the next couple weeks. But again, we'll be going into the details of all this, 9.45 a.m., starting next Sunday morning, uh, January 22nd. And then I'll come up here and, and share with you as well. 
Most of us are pretty familiar with Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation story. And I believe it reveals that God created this world to be good. Genesis 1, 3, the the first day of creation. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Throughout the creation story, God spoke it, and it was created. And God saw that it was good. God designed the world and everything in it. He created everything precisely the way He wanted it to be created, and it was good. And as many of you know, on the sixth day, God created humans in His image, and Genesis 1.31 declares, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. We humans are the only part of creation created in His image And it was the only at at the completion of human beings and the creation of human beings that God said, it's all very good. So I believe it's safe to say that God had a design and he has a design and it's very good. In fact, you and I were perfectly made the way he wanted us to be made. And further, since God made us in his image and he declared us very good, I think it's very clear that God also loves us and loves us deeply. Many other places in the Bible, of course, confirm God's great love for us. The Psalms repeatedly tell us about God's steadfast love. I've just listed a few here. But that phrase, the steadfast love of God, is repeated 120 times in the Psalms alone. Jesus told us, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. John wrote in, in his first letter, 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. From the beginning, we see that God created everything we see. It was very good. His design was perfect, and it reflected his perfect, steadfast love. So what we're going to be sharing with people is that God has a design for every aspect of our lives. God has a design for our marriages. Uh, he told us in Genesis 2.24 that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Ephesians 5, God, through the Apostle Paul, repeated this statement. He taught about a husband and wife loving and respecting one another. God has a design for our families. First of all, God intended for us to have family. In Genesis 1.28, God told us to be fruitful and multiply. Somebody said that's the only command of His we've perfectly kept. Again, in Ephesians 6, God through Paul tells us about His design for children to obey and honor parents and for parents to not provoke the children to anger. God has a design for our work and our rest. From the very beginning, God gave us work to do. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Work was a good thing. God also made it clear that we need seasons of resting in Him, as Terry mentioned. Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. God has a design for our relationships. Uh, Exodus 20, 16 and 17. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. 
Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his house uh, or his, it goes on to say, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that's your neighbor's. Don't have a desire for it. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, Jesus repeated that commandment. He said it was the second commandment, the second greatest. You see, God has a good and a perfect design for everything. And God has designed us, most importantly, to be in relationship with Him. Now, we're not going to share all of this I've just shared when you're, when you're sharing with someone. I just want to give you all the background. Uh, when, we, when we look at it downstairs, we'll, we'll narrow this down more. But we're, we're designed to be in relationship with the Lord. And that truth is the basis of Jesus' greatest commandment in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. At the beginning of creation, you get this sense of how intimate our relationship with God was supposed to be. As in Genesis 3.8, God walks in the garden where Adam and Eve resided. And I get this sense, the text doesn't explicitly say it, but I get this sense that God just regularly walked among them in the cool of the day. The, the word actually means in the wind of the day, when there was a cool breeze in that, in that day. And you just get the sense that, that God regularly just walked and checked up on Adam and Eve and spoke with them and spent time with them. It was a regular, intimate relationship. You see, God had a perfect design for His relationship with us. But we know that in that same verse, Adam and Eve hid from God because they had broken God's good and perfect design by their sin. So now the only hope for restoring that relationship is the gospel. It's the good news. And that's the gist of the three circles, folks. That God has a good and perfect design. We've marred that design by our sin, and it's, we've broken it. But it can be restored by trusting the gospel. Next week, we're going to look a, a lot more closely at our brokenness. But I want to conclude today by, by giving you just a, a simple walk through uh, the three circles presentation. And I also have, when we're downstairs, I'll have a pamphlet for you uh, that'll have that. Uh, there's also an app. You know, there's an app for everything. So you can look up Three Circles or Life on Mission and find the, the Three Circles app uh, if you're interested in that. But I just want to walk us through it just real briefly uh, today before we leave. Slide number one. Uh, as we've already said, it all begins uh, with God's design. That He has a good and perfect design for us. Uh, God has a perfect design for all of our relationships, for our marriages, for our families, for our work and our rest, for every relationship we have with, with friends and workmates. He ha and He especially has a design for us to be in intimate relationship with Him. But we've departed from that design. Next slide. And the Bible calls that departure sin. Ever since Adam and Eve were born, we, we're born with a sinful nature. We all sin. 
We all fall short of God's design in some way or another. No one is perfect, right? Next slide. And the sin, it, it leads to our brokenness. And we see the, the effects of our brokenness all around us. We see it in broken relationships. We see it in addictions and depression. We see it in, in the guilt and the shame that we carry. And none of us want to be broken. I, I don't think most of us wake up and just say, I, I want to be broken today. And so we try to fix our brokenness. And that's what the squiggly lines on the drawing represent. It's all the ways that we try to fix it ourselves. We try to be good enough, hoping that, that somehow we'll be good enough that God will accept us, that our good will outweigh our bad. We look for some way, in some cases, to alleviate our pain and our guilt and our shame. In some cases, we even try to self-medicate with alcohol and drugs. Ultimately, our fixes, well, they tend to lead towards more brokenness. But brokenness is not all bad. Because God often uses our brokenness as a way to get our attention. In our brokenness, you and I come to understand that, that something needs to change. Something needs to change. Next slide. Brokenness is what gets us ready to try God's solution, which is to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent is the Bible's word for confessing our brokenness and beginning to change and to turn things around. And the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is that God sent Jesus to live a perfect life. And He sent Jesus to die for us, and He sent Jesus to be raised to life. Jesus came to heal our brokenness. And when we trust in Him, next slide, we can recover. We can begin to pursue God's design. And then you know what happens? God sends us right back out into a broken world so that we can tell others the good news about Jesus and they can recover and pursue Christ. That's the gist of what we're going to learn. It's something simple that you can draw out on a napkin when you're having lunch with someone. We're going to look at ways to, to, to help people in those conversations, yes, to to flesh it out a bit more, but that's the gist of it. That you can have a transforming conversation by sharing those three circles. And you can begin to turn your everyday conversations into gospel conversations. If you've already trusted the gospel, I hope what you'll do is join us beginning next Sunday at 9.45 a.m. down in the fellowship hall. And, and we're going to go deeper into the three circles. And then again, after that 945 time, we're going to come back up here and we're going to look a little more closely at our brokenness with a broader sweep. So join us next week. We're going to, we're going to start with the three circles. You're going to have a chance to practice it and draw it out just to, to see what that would look like as you drew it and began to share it. 
And we're going to do that throughout the next six weeks or so downstairs at 945. And then we're going to practice having, uh, just having everyday conversations and how we can say things like, well, you know, I didn't have that experience, but I remember one time when I really felt broken, and, and here's what helped me. Um, it's, it's going to be that kind of give and take as we learn. Uh, and if you're one of those who, who this morning... You feel like you're in that broken circle? I would urge you to repent, to turn to Jesus and believe. He's waiting with open arms. He does love you. He's loved you for all eternity. And He's wanting you to turn to Him. So I would pray that if you are feeling broken, that you would turn to Him this very day. And then the rest of you, please join with us as we learn together just to, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. No tool is perfect. This one won't be perfect. But what an amazing difference it could make if we were all doing this around our community. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have a good and perfect plan for us. And you created everything absolutely beautiful. It was perfect in every way. It was the way you wanted it to be. But Lord, we've broken it. We've broken ourselves by our sin. And maybe there's someone listening this morning here today or, or listen to us online, or maybe they'll hear us later in the week on WEO and they're broken. I pray that this might be a moment that they repent, that they would trust the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would believe this very day that Christ died for them, and He rose again from them, and He ascended into heaven, and He's praying for them. I pray that today might be the day of salvation for any who are broken. And Lord, I pray that if we already know that good news, that we would find ways to share your wonderful, magnificent news with others. Lead us by the three circles approach or by some other way to to open the truth of your redeeming love to others. And Lord, as we think about those who we, we have written on our cards or we will write later today, we ask that you would draw those folks to saving grace. We pray that you would indeed give us opportunities to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. We pray for each woman and girl, man and boy on our hearts this morning. And we pray that they would begin now, that you would begin now to turn those we're praying for unto you. Oh, Lord, pour out your saving grace upon our family and our friends and our community. May the witness of this church make a difference in all the places we live and work and study and play. And to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory today and forevermore. Amen.
Let me just remind you that uh, next Sunday, 9.45 a.m., we'll go deeper in the three circles training uh, down in Sunday school, and we'll end that uh, about uh, somewhere between 10.30 and 10.45, and then 11, our regular worship here, and we'll go a little bit, uh, you'll get a little more of the teaching here on, on brokenness, and then the next week uh, on how we share the gospel. But again, the, the thrust of the training will be the six weeks downstairs in the, in the fellowship hall. You should have gotten an email on it. If you didn't, let me know. Uh, but uh, we want to invite you all uh, to come and be a part of that training. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.